0: to keep calm or else they'll start talking trash about how I cuss all the time and honestly I think
1: it's a true art form and I love the (laughs) f-word oh she she is beautiful
0: ladies and gentlemen that's your city councilor Tanya Fernandez Anderson defending the use of F-bombs. I got to tell you, my, my poor father who passed away recently would be rolling over. He does. When I was a kid, using dropping F-bombs, it was something you didn't do. So I can't believe we have an elected official who thinks, yeah, I, I, I use the F-bomb
1: and I'm proud of it. Mom always said, if you have nothing nice to say, don't, don't say, say anything, anything. All right, all fair so, enough. Yeah.
0: All right, everybody. Thank you for uh, stopping by and welcome uh, to the BPPA podcast. We call it Answering the Call. My name is Jamie Keneally, Alongside, as always, BPPA President Larry Calderon. Larry, um, as we always do, we start the show with love for the hardworking men and women of the BPD, um, who, 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 as we know, make Boston one of the safest big cities in America. And of course, um, you and I both know that. But how about a quick shout out to our hardworking uh, men and women of the BPD?
1: Yeah, like always, every time we come on the air, there's a great story to tell uh, uh, day in, day out. Our men and women are working at 100% capacity, and they do a great job. But uh, just this past weekend, Sunday night, we had uh, a handful of young officers from B3 and Pan that uh, affected uh, a dual firearm arrest. Uh, they arrested an individual that had two loaded firearms in the vehicle. And I won't give too much in detail, but what a great show of professionalism by a handful of officers over in Panda that weekend, uh, where they were able to stop the vehicle, arrest the individual, de-escalate the situation, and make sure that everybody went home safe. So just, just one of the things that comes to mind immediately. But again, every day and night that the men and women are out there, they're great. But here's the thing too, Larry,
0: you said it, but I'll just kind of echo it time and time and time again, gun arrests. Officers courageously arresting those folks who think it's okay to carry guns in the city without incident, without injury to the arrestee uh,
1: and to our officers. It certainly underscores the professionalism of our of our of our men and women. Sure, and this and this is a great incident to talk about because uh, you know. When you're talking about gun arrest and violence, what you do see on BPD News all the time is, is our great gang unit. I mean, the, the the gang unit here in the Boston Police Department is fantastic. Uh, their stats are through the roof. They do a great job every day and night. They're out there. But it's it's also the men and women in uniform in the districts. I mean, gunplay isn't uh, within the, the specialized unit in and of itself, these these are hardworking men and women in all stations in the city from East Boston to West Roxbury to the other side of Mattapan. It's just hardworking men and women doing their job and staying safe. Team effort. And, and I agree, Larry, all across the city, some great work being done. Um, let's get right to it. Of course, the big issue,
0: as it has been and remains, uh, the contract, uh, status of the contract, Larry, at present, I think uh, we're two and a half years without a deal. You know, some people say, what's the big deal? But two and a half years, no deal. That's an issue.
1: Yeah, two and a half years long time to wait uh and, and you know there there are some reasons for it um as we know mayor walsh moved on mayor janey took over for a short time mayor wu has been here about a year uh, i give her the kudos for meeting quickly and following through for for the first several months with us having an, uh just short of a dozen meetings but uh, everybody knows what happened uh the meetings came to a stalemate we we are at impasse. They don't want to talk about uh, higher wages and better benefits for the members for the changes that they're looking for. So we filed at the end of the year a joint labor management, the state committee that takes over um collective bargaining in situations like this. Um they step in, help resolve Yeah, they they help resolve deal. what, what can't be done at the table. So what what we're we're looking for is um, well, better yet, where we are in the process is we're waiting for joint labor management to take jurisdiction over the collective bargain and negotiations. What that means is they'll do a, an informational look back within the city and the union leadership, they'll see what was on the table, they'll see what was discussed, they will then bring it forward to their own committee, which uh, you and I thankfully sit on, uh, on the police side of the table. Uh, They will take jurisdiction in the matter. They will assign a mediator. We'll go into some mediation in hopes to hammer out as many of the issues as we can that's on the table. And at the end of the day, if we can't, we will move on to what's called a 3A hearing where we actually hammer down the topics that will go in front of an independent arbitrator.
0: So a couple of quick things. City has yet to respond. We We filed with JLMC, asked them to take jurisdiction. City hasn't responded yet. Assuming they do, you just said a two-step process. So they, so JLMC will try to mediate. If that fails, we go to arbitration. Now, the big question too, we go to arbitration, You know, the decision comes down. It's it,
1: My understanding, Larry, it's a binding decision, right? It, it is a binding decision. Uh, just quickly, it's a three-step process. Mediation, 3A hearing to get the topics, and then the independent arbitrator. And each one takes a little bit of time. Yep. Uh, but yes, it, it is binding. The city council does get to vote on it, and one of the biggest questions I think you get well, asked Well, that's us, where I'm going with this. Yeah, that,
0: a lot I, of guys and girls out there, uh, you know, concerned that okay, we str- all this time we finally get a deal done. Can the city council say you're out of luck? It ain't happening. And blow
1: the whole thing up. So legally, the the process is once the arbitrator comes back with his or her award, it is incumbent upon the mayor legally to advocate for it. It is her job, as well as ours as the leadership, to go to the city council and get the votes necessary, which is the majority, mm-hmm. seven, uh, to get the majority of the councilors to pass the funding of the award. Now they can vote it down. And I've watched this well, movie let me, play well, out well, a lot. Before you go there, so
0: majority yeah. votes, obviously 13 city councils, sure. seven vote for it, we get the deal. If they try to blow it up, if they say it ain't gonna happen, what recourse do we have?
1: Oh, if they try to blow it up and they vote it down, we're going right to court the next morning. I, I mean, the the heavier fight is on at that point. Here we are battling, negotiating, yeah. trying to get a deal done, try to get better benefits. We understand there's changes that, that the mayor wants to make. But you know what? You don't make changes in collective bargaining without giving benefits for it, whether it's wages or benefits. It is a quid pro quo system. Yep. Sorry, couldn't yep. get no give and take. Out. That's exactly
0: yep. what it is. They get some, we get some.
1: But but if the city council is going to grandstand and they're going to pretend oh. that it's not good in the end and they're going to vote it down just to show their power, let them do so. We'll be in court nine a.m. the next morning.
0: Height of disrespect, not to mention height of hypocrisy, given the fact they recently gave themselves a twenty percent pay hike. I hope they they don't do that for the love of you know who. Please, I hope they don't do that. I would think they don't. Uh, switching topics now. Legislatively, we got some things to be happy about. Uh, as we all know, when a police officer is shot in the line of duty and can, o- and can no longer return to the job as a result of a permanent injury, an effort is made um, to pass what we call a disability pension bill, in which the injured officer receives 100% uh, disability pension. Obviously, it's a big deal. It's and it's it's an importantly, uh, I mean, a hugely important gesture. We were lucky enough, Larry, to to see the passage of seven bills for our officers, one for an EMT, and and two for
1: uh, two outside agencies, officers from outside agencies. Um, How important is this legislation? It's one of the most important things we can do for our members that are disabled in the line of duty. We're putting 28% more pay back in their pocket, providing for their family members. Uh, And and what I stand I like to take when I'm talking to the House of Reps or, or when we're talking to roll calls and members as this is one of the most important things that we can do for the members and their family that it are hurt in the line of yep, duty. It is. What we're doing is making them whole. We're making their life easier and we're telling them you go out there, you be a professional, you work hard every night and God forbid something like this happens to you, your union is behind you. Your leadership that has made the contacts, made the relationships on Beacon Hill, we can get things done. And that's exactly what we did. 10 bills 100% Eight for our members, two for other members uh, of the mass coalition of police working together on Beacon Hill, getting it through the House, getting it to the Senate, and having the governor sign it on his last day before he left speaks volumes in a five-week period. Yep, a lot of people to thank, and I couldn't agree with you more, Larry. It is probably it is the most important piece
0: of legislation and one of the most important things we can do as a union. So really happy for all the officers who received that. Uh, that disability pension benefit, uh, it, it's, you can't overstate
1: how important that is. Prime, prime example of why we're involved in politics on Beacon Hill, Jamie.
0: Yeah, well, I learned that lesson, I'll tell you. Uh, okay, switching topics, dress uniforms, Larry. I mean, talking about long overdue, I think for the first time in, well, I, I thought decades, you just told me first time in the history of the department, our officers finally have a dress
1: uniform. Um, how, how did it happen? I mean, first time that I'm aware of, somebody could correct me, but I'm unaware of the department ever having uh, a unified dress uniform provided to the membership. Uh, Everybody knows how we look historically while we're out there at funerals, parades, et cetera. But uh, how did it happen, Jamie? Uh, Through my leadership, the leadership of the BPPA, we put it to the House of Reps. The House of Reps agreed. We worked with then Commissioner Gross to secure funding to purchase these dress jackets and dress pants from Blauer and uh, that has continued on with now Commissioner Cox. We are in receipt down at the BPPA of all of the uniforms, uh, all being superior officers, detectives, patrol officers. We have them all. They have been disseminated over the last few weeks. We are almost done getting them all out to the patrol force. I'm happy to report that we did Naturally, the BPPA members first. Yep. We got, we're getting them all out to the rank and file. Anyone that was fitted will be receiving that uniform, and uh, right after we're done doing that we will then get the detectives off to them and the superiors off to them for them to get to their members. So uh, prou- very proud day, very proud to have something like this. Yeah, that- it's a huge,
0: it's a huge achievement. And again, I mean, in terms of a spirit of core, this is all about enhancing a spirit of core, enhancing professionalism and, and just making, I think we were saying earlier, look good, feel good. I mean, uh, what has the reaction been? Cause you guys have been passing out the uniforms for the past, I mean, what couple of weeks or
1: so uh, reaction. What has the reaction been from the officers? Honestly, ecstatic would be a word that comes to mind. I can't tell you how many times people are saying, hey, thank goodness you stepped up. Thank goodness the union did this, because uh, quite frankly, the department never has. And whether it's about money or whatever the the sticking point might have been with various commissioners, various mayors, the bottom line is, I'm men and women, they feel good now, they look good. Yep. It makes them want to put that dress uniform on. We attend these special events and, yeah. and we want to look professional. So uh, people are happy about it, short and sweet, Jamie.
0: Graduations, promotions, and God forbid, an officer funeral, long overdue. And uh, yeah, great work done by the by the BPPA. All right, switching gears, uh, I think our last topic, lateral transfers, Larry. I know the commissioner re- re- recently put out a, an invitation to, to get lateral transfers, asking or inviting officers from other other towns and cities to to come to Boston and join the BPD. Here's the good news. Um, it absolutely affirms and confirms what you've been saying all along. We're down uh, at least close to 400 police officers. Bad news, our understanding, Larry, is that the department was looking for 50, and they got less than
1: 10. Uh, what happened? I, I- Frankly, I think it's just a common sense decision made by police officers throughout the Commonwealth. Why would you leave a department that you're currently working in when you get to go home at the end of your tour? No one is as short-staffed as we are. And I'm in contact with police organizations throughout the Commonwealth. Boston is really, really depleted in its ranks. Then you couple that with two and a half years of no pay raises, unsafe schools, lack of support from our elected officials and the council. yeah i mean why would you want to come here at the bottom of that lateral transfer letter you have six months to comply with the residency issue one of the most expensive cities in america eight and a half percent inflation but again no pay raise no contract no love unsafe schools but yet super expensive housing and to make it worse the six months to move into the city jamie we all know the 911 operators from seiu 888 that work upstairs and headquarters taking the 911 calls for service they were given three years' reprieve to move into the city. So, once again, we're treated with such disrespect. It's a complete slap in the face to any law enforcement officer that works elsewhere. And we have open arms saying, hey, come here, come here for less pay come here for no contract, come here for unsafe schools, and by the way, it's going to cost you an arm and a leg to buy a house if you can afford one. Yeah,
0: What uh, and, and, and no a dis- bunch of
1: great reasons to come right. work in the BPD. I
0: mean, no disrespect to the commission, we appreciate the effort, but at the end of the day, you got to have something to entice people to come here, and that's the problem. The grass is greener where they are. It's not here. Bad schools, bad pay, residency requirements, lack of respect from elected officials. That's what needs to be uh, worked on. We got to do more to appreciate uh, and value our workforce.
1: Yeah, let me just jump in and just say, uh, for, uh, for the people that are non-law enforcement via EMS that are listening, because I know you're out there, we get the emails. Uh, the BPPA stances, we embrace lateral transfers. We spoke to Commissioner Cox and former Commissioner Gross about opening up lateral transfers. We need as much help as quickly as we can get it. But we're not going to do it at the detriment to our men and women that are already here. It's insulting.
0: All right, Larry, time now. Uh, I think we're going to take a quick break because after the break, we're going to have our first ever guest on the BPPA podcast, Dan Ray. We're going to invite Dan to get Dan on the show in just a second. All right, time now for our first ever guest on the BPPA podcast. Our pleasure, of course, to welcome a city kid from Hyde Park, Latin school guy, longtime WBZ reporter, I think 31 years, Larry, which is a pretty long time, but the host of Nightside and, I I dare say, a friend of law enforcement, Dan. Dan Ray, everybody. Dan, thank you so much for taking the time to be on the, the BPPA podcast.
2: My honor. It's great to talk with you, Jamie and Larry. It's always great to
0: talk with you guys so the t-shirts in the mail just so you know now that you've actually come on the show
2: <laughs> that's perfect that's per- i will declare yeah. it on my income tax don't worry it's
0: a gift,
1: you. okay uh, that's
0: right i was supposed to say that off air i apologize uh, less less than fifty dollars <laughs> don't worry dan
1: less than fifty <laughs> yeah. all right
0: Dan. real quick i mean 31 years city kid latin school guy 31 years at bz i, I gotta ask because i'm curious what how did you get into what drew you to to um you know reporting to journalism to tv
2: Well, it's funny, I really grew up and I I wanted to be a sportscaster, Um, went to Boston State College and uh, realized that when I got out of there, I really wasn't sure what I wanted to do and had a chance, believe it or not, to write some op-ed pieces for the Boston Globe while I was in law school at Boston University Law School and then while I was in law school, uh, someone explained to me that there was this small radio station of course there's now a big radio station, WBUR I could do an hour a week sort of as mental therapy for the pressures of law school and I enjoyed doing it, I did a show just for an hour a week then there was an opening at WBZ Radio, Saturday night show auditioned for that, got it got out of law school, once television found there I was a lawyer. They said, come on over to TV. We'll make you a legal editor. I realized it was so much fun on TV and it paid better. I said, how about making me a reporter? They said we'd love to. That was it. Awesome. But did I
0: hear you correctly? Did you say you got your start with the Globe?
2: Believe it or not, I wrote <laughs> op-ed pieces for the Globe. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure they're not happy about that yeah. now, but <laughs> uh, Tom Winship I, uh, who was then the editor of the globe, uh, gave me an opportunity. They were looking for uh, a kind of a different point of view, even back then. And I was young. I was, uh, I, I was relatively prolific. I think I wrote about somewhere in the vicinity of 65, 70 op-ed pieces for the globe over, wow. over a three year period. Impressive.
0: Now, uh, real quick too, did you have a favorite reporter um, growing up in the city or during your time in the business? Was there somebody that kind of stood out to you as somebody you wanted to, I, I guess, follow? The two
2: the two reporters at BZ who helped me the most, and I got to know them, obviously, working with them, were Charlie Austin and Peter Mohegan. Oh, Peter two went to guys. Channel 5 fairly quickly, yep. but I spent a lot of time breaking in with Peter, uh, and Charlie and I became great friends. We worked nights together. Uh, we were called Starsky and Hutch back in the day, um, right. and uh, he was wonderful guy, wonderful guy.
0: And I got to imagine you're being a city kid. Did that, that that had to provide some sort of, I would imagine or guess, some sort of advantage or benefit being a kid who grew up in the city, knew the players, knew the people. I mean, how did that help you during your time and, and probably still to this day?
2: Yeah, I had to learn. I, I mean, I grew up in Reedville, which was part of Hyde Park, um, and there were parts of the city that when you were a kid from Reedville, you'd didn't get to East Boston much, didn't get to Charlestown. But I certainly knew kids from Charlestown had played uh, you know, high school and college sports with kids from other sections of the city. And over time, uh, you began to realize, hey, this is here and this is here. And, and there, some reporters come into Boston, they have a tough time trying to find a State House, find <laughs> yeah. you know, city hall. Uh, I, knew, I knew those locations, and I had friends. And a lot of uh, the people who I uh, bumped into, Going back in the day, you know, particularly guys in the police department, uh, Gil Griffin, uh, Butchie O'Neill, and guys like that, you develop friendships with Larry Pacino, um, Maddie Kilrow, uh, You know, they were, they were good friends, um, uh, you know, and, and and they, I can't quite tell you what they told me, but I could somehow get a piece of information when I would show up at a crime scene. And uh, yeah, um, uh, won one Emmy, as a matter of fact, going out in a drug raid with um, Gil Griffin and Butch O'Neill back in, in 1982, 83. Was a, Sonoma Street was kind of a hot drug spot at the time. And uh, in those days, you could actually go in behind the police once the door was knocked down. That no longer is allowed um, because of the expectation of privacy of the people inside the drug den, but it was, it was, it was an interesting way to do television back in the day.
0: Yeah. I think that would be frowned upon today, but we, I got to say, Larry's going to say, we love your city kid status. I just think that's a huge feather. And we also, you know, Dan, love your love of police officers. I think anybody who's tuned into the show can pick up on that pretty quickly. And I guess the obvious question would be, you know, where does that respect admiration and love of police officers come from for you?
2: Well, it comes from watching police over the years, up uh, close and personal. You know, if you're a sportscaster and you're uh, courtside at the Celtics game, you have to really begin to appreciate the athleticism of the athletes. Uh, and if you're a uh, television broadcaster or a television reporter, as I was, uh, out in the street uh, and watched uh, some very hairy situations, realizing that these police officers, they are the thin blue line that protects me and my family from the okay. criminal element. I also have members of my own family My brother's a retired state police lieutenant, lots of friends on the the city of Boston Police Department, uh, as well as uh, state police uh, and other agencies around the Commonwealth. I mean, it's if you see what if the public could see what you folks go through, they would feel the same way that I do.
1: Yeah,
0: love it. Couldn't agree. Yeah, your perspective is certainly unique and you've met a ton of cops over the years and and obviously having the family connection is huge. I mean, I guess I could ask the question because it's it's kind of a a thorn in our side in terms of the worst slogans of all time. How how bad is defund the police? How bad is is that as a slogan?
2: Well, it's ridiculous, is what it is. I mean, first of all, uh, it's easy if you live in, let's say, Weston or one of these very safe suburban communities where crime, you know, isn't really a problem. It's easy to uh, virtue signal and and say, oh, let's defund the police. But if you live in a in an area where there's criminal activity, uh, you want more police. And I know the people who I know and know well. Uh, in Boston neighborhoods, they want more police. But for some reason, there's kind of a, in my opinion, an alliance between progressive politicians and the editorial writers at the Boston Globe, who would let, who would make make believe that everybody in the world wants to defund the police. Nothing could be further from the truth.
0: Yeah, I mean, it, I, I can't remember the last time the Boston Globe wrote something even remotely positive about, uh, about the Boston Police Department. But we got to ask you, too. I mean, there's an interesting case as we talk about the folks who, you know, who want to defund, dismantle, diminish, diminish police officers. Um, Congresswoman, I think, from Minnesota. Larry, I think you, you, you were, we were talking about it earlier. Yeah, Angie Craig, U.S. Rep. Angie Craig. She was a defund the police proponent. <laughs> and then, And yeah. then what happened? Uh, she, she had
2: a conversion. Uh, it was like a religious conversion. Uh, she got mugged in her own elevator. Uh, and now all of a sudden she doesn't seem to be so much in favor of defunding the police, at least in Washington, D.C. Look, she seemed like an intelligent person. Why would anyone want to defund the police department? I mean, look, if police officers go off the reservation and do something stupid and, and criminal, as was done in the George Floyd case, The police officers prosecutors and he will spend the rest of his life in jail just think of the damage that that guy did uh, not only to George Floyd unnecessarily uh, but also what he did to the reputation of police officers around the country also uh, which was unfair uh, because the vast majority of police officers look there are some crooked people in my business Uh, there (laughs) are You know, there were there were bad people in, in the media. There were bad people uh, in, in every walk of life. Yep. Bad lawyers. Cor- you know, there are lawyers who get put away there. But, you know, you root out the bad guys. Um, it's like the bad Catholic priest. I had friends of mine who were Catholic priests who were devoted you know, servants of the Catholic Church and servants of good people. And they were great people. They stopped wearing the collar because they couldn't go out to dinner back in the early uh 2000s without people looking at them and and feeling, well, does that person think I'm a pedophile? Right. I can't imagine what it is for a police officer that people will look askance and say, hey, is that uh, a Derek Chauvin wannabe? Nothing could be further from the truth for 99.5% of the police officers in this country. And and it's just unfair what we have put the police through over the last,
0: um what, three years now. Two, three years. Amen to that. Right. I couldn't agree with you more.
1: Yeah yeah Dan Larry here. I I can't tell you what a pleasure it is to be on your show and then to have you on this show. You you're always candid, you're honest, you're open, and the the most important thing that I think you use is common sense. So when you yeah. talk about some of these elected it. officials, whether it's um, you know, whether it's Minnesota, whether it's Philadelphia, here in Boston, the flip-flopping is outrageous and it's really sad that um elected officials have to experience violence themselves. In order to realize that that you can't live in a lawless society and police officers are needed.
2: Well, they have no integrity. In other words, they, they, they're relatively intelligent people, most of, most of the politicians, not all, but they're relatively intelligent. Um, and, and they should have the backbone and courage to stand up and say, look, we need police. We need to root out the police officers, uh, who'll abuse their badge or their gun. Uh, everyone's going to agree on that. But the vast number of police officers in this country are out there day and night protecting me and my family. Um, and, 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 and everyone's family. <laughs>
1: Well, well, I would appreciate it if you continue, as I know you do nightly on your show, but as much as you can, remind your very large audience that the overwhelming majority of police officers in the city of Boston, the Commonwealth of Massachusetts, they're well-educated, they're well-trained. We de-escalate every single night on when it is possible to do so. Yeah. Uh, But, you know, we're we're, we're not... we're not secure from a bad apple or two, just like any other profession. So, as good as we are, I always say we strive to be better. We train to be better, and um, it's just important for the general public to know how great. Well, our I think President are. I
2: think President Obama said that himself here in Boston a few years ago that, that we had the best police force uh, in America, the best trained police force in America, and 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 I don't understand why these politicians, you know, they. They are they basically believe that within the Democratic Party you got to be progressive, and if you're not, you're you are particularly subject to someone challenging you in a the primary. They they are in it to win it, but in it to win it for themselves, not in it to protect their constituents.
1: Lack of courage—that's what it is, Dan. Lack of courage to speak right. the truth and use common sense. You know, Dan. Yeah, and, go ahead, Dan.
2: No, but I'm saying, and, and, and the police have to summon that courage every day because every day police go to work, they have no idea what they're going to face. They have no idea what they're going to face. They have no idea if they're going to come home that night. Politicians... Uh, need to put themselves, do some ride-arounds, have the politicians do some ride-arounds, I mean, and, uh, and and see what police, you know, it, it's like when I do my show, I have no idea who's on the other end of the line, who's the next caller, let's go, I gotta I gotta take the call, and I gotta deal with it, but I'm not in any physical danger, police officers, as we have found all too often around this country, are, uh, are often, often in physical danger, and it takes a lot of backbone, a lot of courage to do what you guys do, and I will defend police, uh across the board I will criticize them and certainly when I see something that is that goes wrong yep. and is going to hurt police officers I will be there to criticize the individuals who go off the reservation, but I will I will defend the the good police officers and the the integrity of police officers as long as I have a, re, a microphone.
1: Hey, I'm going to leave you with this too. Um, I'm sure you probably already saw it, but um, Sunday night, apparently, uh, some great police work by our officers over in B3 in Mattapan as they arrested an individual that is, was armed with not one but two illegal firearms, and lo and behold. Um, He's part of the Boston's new street outreach, advocacy, and response program. Um, you, you, you just, you, you, is, is this a city employee? You mean? It's a city employee. Yes. And, <laughs> and do you know as I what? say. I, Don't do as I do. I love it. Yeah, and I'm and I'm not trying to um, dump all over anyone that is working for the city and for the the general population yeah. of Boston. We all care about our great city, uh, but it, it just. It's another embarrassment. It's another black eye on City Hall when they try to hire people that are not trained as police officers to do police work, we think they can do it day. better. Yeah. We think
0: they can do it better than than the trained pros.
1: But if you haven't seen that, I figure you might want to look down. Mm. Uh,
0: I will. I will
2: check that out. I appreciate the tip, guys.
0: <laughs>
1: well, Dan, I, I just want to say you did a
0: great job. You didn't seem too nervous. Hopefully, we didn't intimidate you too much. But uh, honestly, I made mean, that. We've heard you a bunch of times. We appreciate you know your advocacy. And again, you're a city kid. You get it. You know, you grew up with police officers. You had the chance to rub elbows with police officers during your time. as a journalist, and uh, we certainly appreciate the support you give to the hardworking men and women of the BPD. So, uh, thank you, Dan, for being our first ever guest. Yeah, appreciate Jay it, Dan. Thanks and, so much,
2: and Larry, I am honored. Uh, stay well, stay safe, and um, stay authentic.
1: Likewise, talk soon, Dan. Yeah, the thank best. You. Thank you, Dan. Thanks, guys. Bye, bye.
0: Okay, that was Dan Ray. You can hear Dan Ray Monday through Friday on BZ Radio. He's the host of Nightside, 8 p.m. to midnight. Again, we can't thank Dan enough for being, well, the first ever guest uh, of the BPPA podcast. And, uh, Larry, that's the show. uh, Closing thought.
1: Once again, Jamie, just want to take a minute to say thank you to the men and women that are taking those calls for service out there on a daily basis. They're doing an outstanding job. Be safe and make sure you go home. Yep, could agree, Larry. We get the best police officers in the nation. That's the show. He's Larry Calderon.
0: I'm Jamie Keneally. Stay safe, everybody.